Uh, this is our chance to do a little bit of that planning ahead. Um, so we'll see if we get around to it. But anyway. Speaking of getting busy for the fall. <laughs> yeah. So this week I got contacted by Ramapo College. Um, it is a little private school out here in northern New Jersey, and I've been feverishly sending them my resume and CV for many years at this point because they pay very well. Um, and they finally got back to me. Apparently one of the professors is on a medical leave, and they asked me to teach two sections of love and friendship. Whoa. Which is... Yeah, it's the philosophy of an erotic love and friendship. Um, so not only am I making sweet, sweet private school dough, <laughs> um, but I am also going to be writing and creating a new class, basically. Yeah. Like I've got a syllabus to work from. Sweet. Take some, some generous liberties with it. Uh, so my workload has increased dramatically, but at long last, I'm actually getting some real money for it. Like I'll be making triple what I'm Gosh, that's awesome. What kind yeah. of stuff do you get to you get to talk about, like Plato all the way back that yeah. long ago, and then um, go up from there? Let me see. I've, I've got the syllabus. Um, for certain Plato's Symposium and that chunk of the Nicomachean Ethics, yeah. where he's talking about the friendship, um, and then a bunch of other fun stuff. We've got Cicero's on friendship, we've got Montaigne on friendship, oh, nice. uh, we've got some Spinoza, some Kant, Hegel, Kierkegaard, Nietzsche, yeah, and that's just the stuff that's on the syllabus that I haven't added yet. There's going to be so much more Foucault when I'm done. No. Oh, um, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the other thing that they've got going is it's apparently geared to a uh, it's geared to discussion about history. Like it's basically in a, a survey class using love and friendship as sort of an introduction to philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, and Foucault is just so perfect because. On the one hand, he writes a lot about relationships, both sexual and friendly, um, but also he does it from a historical perspective. So, like, I've already yeah. snuck out my copy of The History of Sexuality, Volume 1, and I'm already deep into it um, because he's basically, like, reevaluating the, the traditional historical narrative that Christians ruined sex for everyone. Um, <laughs> And I am, I am very eager to, to pass that on to my students as well. You know, acquit the Christians on this one, at least. The Stoics were there first, guys. Okay. This is not our idea. That's super interesting. And do you have in mind yet a uh, like an end point? Like how far is, I mean, Foucault's pretty recent, I guess. Is that about as far as you'll get? Yeah, I, I think so. Okay. I'll, I, I'm kind of tempted. Um, at the moment, they've got... Uh, a, an essay by Richard Rorty on mm. um, historiography, like the four genres of philosophy or historical philosophy. Um, mm. And that's like their opening to the class, but Rorty is rough. Yeah, that's a um, dry like way to spend, start. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm tentatively thinking 
thinking of swapping out Rorty for Foucault, except for the fact that I feel like, you know, here I am, continental philosopher, kicking over all the nice analytic things and getting my continental nonsense all over the place. Um, but I kind of want to start and end the class with Foucault, like start with his method and end with his findings mm. um, and sort of use that as a way of framing and writing everything we're talking about. Like, what we are going to do is a Foucaultian type project. We're going to look at history. We're going to see what these philosophers say about about sexuality, and we're going to end up with you know Foucault's take on it. Which at that point we will be equipped to agree or disagree with. Okay. Yeah, I haven't read much of that, but sounds good. I mean, uh, congrats. That's way cool. Yeah. But what What does it mean for us? What are we going to do without you? We can't play this game then. <laughs> Or, uh, or it, it means I will be busy for sure. Oh. Um, but in the process of, of getting these two classes and having this pay increase, that means that I can actually like drop a couple of my other classes. Mm. Um, so I'm already talking to some of the other other schools about the situation. Hopefully, like at this point, I'm only slated to teach five, which is pretty normal for the fall. Yeah. Um, although the new prep is going to throw a wrench in the works. I'm hoping to get that down to four, and the other two classes would be all online, so very manageable. Um, so I'm not sure I'd be able to keep up my current clip of publishing a, the first hour and Deus Ex video every week, um, but I could probably swing every two weeks and nice. or you know keep up with the conversations because the Deus Ex videos are getting kind of long. I know, um, yeah. This game is extremely complex i'm kind of overwhelmed already and this is like the first real uh exploration kind of section right this is the first chance we really get to sort of go around um freely yeah in hell's yeah. kitchen <laughs> uh so yeah i didn't play this week i just failed um but Pathetic. i I know, I know, but I but I did watch and took some good notes here, um, for things that I wanted to pick your brain about, and I know you played a little bit, Steve. Oh, not my brain. <laughs> okay. You, how far did you get in the Liberty Island mission? Not very. Not very. Oh man. So yeah, I'm still stuck in the tunnels um, outside Battery Park. And I don't know, I'll probably have to restart the game because I don't know how to find uh, some more energy cells, but we'll see. Um, but okay, so yeah, this level felt really different from the first two um, because of that aspect of getting to go around and talking to everybody. Uh, this felt more like a, a role-playing game, actually. Um, and less like the, you know just the the action and the first person shooting stuff. So we meet a lot of characters here. How many of these are going to be important for later? Like, how much attention should we pay to these characters we're meeting here? Yeah, we'll run across maybe one or two of them again. Um, like, obviously, Jock became important. He's apparently the helicopter pilot who pulls us out of the warehouse. Okay. Um, so Jock. You should remember he was the the pilot at the bar that we were talking to give us the 
information about the smuggler and then got off on this tangent about Area 51 that, you know, sounds like crackpot conspiracy theory nonsense, but this game, who knows? <laughs> um, the other characters I don't think we're going to have nearly as much truck with. Like, as much as we, we have that whole little side quest with Sandra Renton and her father at the, the Tom Hotel, yeah. um, I don't think we're going to run into them again. Although, if I recall, we will actually be coming back to Hell's Kitchen at one point. So I could be wrong, and some of these characters may prove more important than um, okay. initially expected. Um, one thing that definitely will come up again is all those weird paramilitary dudes hanging out in the sewer conducting diabolical experiments on human beings. Okay. Um, you'll remember that they had the, the like passcode on their computers was MJ12. Um, yeah. That we'll see again. Okay. Okay. And what, what was the, was it coup d'etat? Was that them, or was that something yes. else? Yes. Okay. MJ-12 coup d'etat. Coup d'etat. Very suspicious. It's uh, also French, I noticed. Um, yes. So we know there's some French people uh, out there that we're going to deal with. We know there's some triads from uh, Asia that we're going to deal with. And then the NSF, who we know and love at this point, um, who are involved with like the uh, New York underworld, apparently. Uh, and literally, the, the bar is called Underworld, right? So that's kind of fun. And, and it has all that devil imagery going on. Yeah. Yeah. And so, the, yeah, the stuff with the girl, I guess we should talk about that a little bit. Um, it's kind of this, like, drama between her and her father where she's I, – I got some very distant echoes there of, like, a Dostoevsky novel, you know, where you meet – um uh oh gosh what's her name sonia right or 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 the character who i don't think gets a name i don't recall in um underground man um yeah there's a there's a prostitute there too but yeah so this this idea that she's um like trying to help out uh her family and wants to sort of do things on her own terms um yeah what what happens? Do you know if you choose some other path there other than uh, telling the the pimp to back off or, or you know, whatever um, and sort of like stand yeah. out for her? There's some pretty telling options there when, when you're talking to the pimp. Like, it gets a little complicated. Um, if I remember, uh, there is a way to reconcile her with her father, but I'm not sure if it's something I missed on this playthrough or something that has yet to be available. Because mm. um, again, I think we are coming back to Hell's Kitchen and some of the things that I remember at one point, maybe at the wrong point or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I think that there's more to be done there. I know that there are secret choices, gears turning behind the scenes. Um, I'm not entirely conscious of all of them. Again, that script might be really helpful here. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I know that there's more to it than what we've seen so far. Yeah, I, that's the sense that I got. And I wondered if this was a, uh, like, a potential party member or something, right? Like, the idea that you're going to play this game alone the whole way through seems to be sort of structurally how it's set up. 
right? I don't know how it would work to have another person on your team, um, but she seemed like possibly a good candidate for that, or at least like a love interest sort of thing for the storyline. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that she might come back. Um, and I thought you did, it did seem like you kind of did everything you could do. And then she was just not interested in, in really the balls in her court and she's really not interested in, in playing at this point. Um, she's kind of hanging out there uh, with her friend. Um, and then there's the smuggler. Uh, he seemed like he might also be sort of like the beginnings of a little um, like support team for, for old JC here. Uh, the smugglers down there in his portion of the sewers um, and he needs his friend who's been abducted right by these mysterious uh, para paramilitary folks. Um, do you, uh, I don't know, is there anything more you can do other than just buy more stuff after you rescue his friend though? Um, I think there's more to do with the smuggler. Like I want to say there is, but I don't remember. So okay. we'll just have to find that one out on our own. Yeah. Um, but he definitely does seem to operate as, you know, your underground contact for getting potentially illicit materials one way or the other around here. And um, do we know so again, if we are running through Hell's Kitchen, I imagine we'll run into him again or at least have the opportunity to. Yeah, his friend is like a, a scientist as well, it seemed like. So do we know like what their friendship entails? Is this an, uh, another kind of romantic thing or is it just like a, a working relationship or what? Like he didn't seem too sentimental about like getting his friend back or maybe they hadn't met again yet. But um, that sort of surprised me, that that outcome. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely does not respond with like a great deal of ebullience hearing that his friend is back. They don't get to see a reunion or anything. He's yeah. just... Like he disappears, which is probably a smart move if there's a giant, extremely well organized, extremely well armed paramilitary operation that you know <laughs> That's fair. is looking for him. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think everyone's making the correct calls here, um, but the smuggler seems, you know, he, he, he has a very side quest kind of thing. Okay. Yep, thank you for doing the job. Here is your reward. And moving on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if there is, in fact, some undertone or some implicit relationship there, I don't think it's something that we have access to. And this in this game, you would think you would. Like, yeah. there would be a computer that you could hack in his bedroom that would tell you, you know, he and Ford have been engaged in an illicit tryst for many years. <laughs> but, you know, there's no evidence that that's the case. So I suppose we shall take it as being as innocent as it would appear on the outside. Okay. Well, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, uh, the yeah, it's it's unclear, I guess, what Ford is up to. I don't fully trust either of them, really. I mean, but that may be just uh, the unfortunate circumstances they find themselves in, and they're they're just doing their best. Uh, but yeah, so Plus, it's kind of hard to imagine anything worse than what it seems that the paramilitary group <laughs> is making him do. Like yeah, yeah. when you walk into your dumping room with all the dead bodies floating in the water. I even mentioned that one of the corpses was a kid. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't know what Ford's, you know, day job is, but <laughs> whatever he's doing moonlighting, it has to be worse. Like, right. maybe Smuggler and he aren't, aren't quite on the up and up. And at this point, it's hard, kind of hard to imagine anyone is. Like, Uneco seems a little bit fascist, and 
the NSF doesn't seem to be caring about the people they're ostensibly protecting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, nobody's hands are clean here, but some hands are certainly dirtier than others. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. At the very least, Smuggler has been nice to us to this point. Like, he has gone full hermit, um, which, you know, he, he's he's playing the, the true neutral card here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. self the factions that obviously are doing bad things. And it seems like uh, you get multiple hints about each of these things. It, it, the game seems to kind of give you, um, I don't know, a few opportunities to find some of these side quests and secrets and um, get another look if you miss one or the other, right? Um, like the uh, the way down into the sewers, there's at least a couple of entrances, it seemed like. Uh, and uh, things with the Renton Hotel, right? Like there's a number of ways to get in there so not just but not just like in terms of physically accessing these places but also um like walking around talking to people you you seem to get kind of more than one hint usually about uh, maybe this is a place to check out or maybe this person uh would be helpful for you um but it still seems access like a lot of the times you know depending on how much you've explored talk to you'll have an access code that'll get you past some locked door somewhere or alternatively they'll give you a tip about you know if, if i were to go into the hotel i'd go in by the room right like, yeah. something like that <laughs> um and you know here there are a lot of redundancies like yes. you said there are a lot of That's characters that'll point you in one or the other direction based on you know their experience and game sense like you know jock is more than happy to tell you about his contact with smuggler if you buy him a drink or two mm-hmm. um whereas you know you talk to sandra renton and she's giving you different kinds of information about how the nsf is sort of working in the area their relationship with jojo the shadowy underboss of yeah. some kind. <laughs> right. right are you able to find him at this point or you're still getting his cronies um and, and the, there's okay there was definitely um in the security computer in the warehouse one of the logins was jojo yeah uh, um so it's obvious that his fingers are in this area but we haven't met him in person whether okay. that was because i missed him or because we have yet to meet him he's coming down the line i'm not entirely yeah. sure i think we are in a showdown with him okay uh, yeah, it's it seemed like uh, Sandra was kind of um, yeah maybe maybe hinting at that that she'd be able to help you get face to face with JoJo somehow, um, but yeah, but it's still it does seem like there's a lot to keep straight here. Like on the one hand, those redundancies are helpful, right? They they give you another shot at finding stuff that might be useful or or important for the story. But on the other hand, it's like uh, kind of too many cooks in the kitchen, right? You, you just have so much going on. Um, it's a big area. There's a ton of stuff to do. You talk to anyone, and they'll point you in one of like five or six different directions. Right. Like even the, the the clear cut. This is what Yaneko wants you to do. Has like three different approaches that you go about doing it. Um, this is kind of the normal 
global state of affairs for Deus Ex. Oh my gosh. Um, like even in Battery Park when we were running around, you know, and we had like, oh, the NSF is taking over Castle Clinton. We really want you to go down there and take care of the Ambrosia. But also, there's a hostage situation going on in the subway tunnels. Maybe take care of that. Like, mm-hmm. it's obvious that there's multiple things going on. But, and, and, you know, at least in Battery Park, it was like all NSF related. The Castle Clinton thing is a diversion for this, which is a diversion for, and so on and so forth. Everything sort of getting kicked down the line. Mm. Um, whereas once we get to Hell's Kitchen, it's less a matter of intentional like diversions and, and wheels within the wheels on the part of the NSF and more just an opportunity to see what their impact on the world around them actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can see that just in the way the world works, like the fact that you've got that whole standoff with the UNACO troops where they're, you know, just gunning them down as they come out of the Osgood and Sons, like, warehouse front thing. Yeah. And there's another pocket of them by the clinic that, you know, will get shot down. Meanwhile, there's like that whole secondary faction where you walk in front of the wrong door and the thugs who are just criminals attack you and you get them taken down by cops. Like, there's just a lot going on here, which I think would make sense. You know, you're, you're talking about a city that is being rocked by a literal insurrection you know, this is the same night as the Liberty Island mission. Like, virtually no time has passed. If anything, we've spent more time in game than it's chronologically reasonable mm. between the mm. quick loading and, you know, just the way that games work. Um, but I think, you know, as clumsy as it is, this is this is 2001 technology attempting to convey chaos. Right. Um, right. And I think it's pretty effective. Like, even if it's difficult to keep track of, I think that's actually a feature, not a bug. Like, yeah. you're supposed to be torn in five different directions. The, the only thing that's missing is the urgency because, you know, there, there isn't a clock. There isn't, you know, mm. people literally running through the streets screaming at the top of their lungs all the time. <laughs> you know, the situation can't change dramatically at the drop of a hat, even though there are weird sort of power shifts that take place. You know, again, as the military is sweeping through, you're seeing these pockets of the NSF just getting run over. Um, like, I think even in the video, there were a couple times that I tried to get into that weird back stream where there were like five NSF guys milling around and there was like with the flag in it. You know, some weird stuff over there, but then the third or fourth time I was running through, the cops just showed up and took them all out, and I didn't have to do anything. That's right. Like, just depending on where you're coming from and what has already been done, you know, what triggers the game is secretly keeping track of, there's a lot of different ways that all of this stuff can go. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that Rube Goldberg machine feeling. Um, and, and you're sort of the motive force there. Yeah. Things kind of will wait as long as it takes you to find them. But then once you trigger them, they they cascade in, in, in yeah. unpredictable ways. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, I was curious about a couple of these moving pieces. Um, Paul here uh, lets us into his apartment. And very close to his apartment is like an open uh, window into a terrorist's apartment. So they're like neighbors. Um, and you can find 
some you know some information in there. Um, you can also go on his computer, right? And you find that his like handle is mute. Is that right? Like that's his either his real name that's, or his... that's the name I picked. Yeah. That's, oh, okay. That's, that's your name. Your, your JC Denton name was when you started up the game. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah, mute is the handle I used. So that's you, you communicating with him. across a book and I don't remember if it's in one of these apartments maybe we find it um, and maybe there's a couple places we find it but we find the book uh, by GK Chesterton the man who is Thursday um, which has got to be significant um, that is sort of a well the subtitle is a nightmare right uh, it's a kind of fantasy about um, an anarchist group who are planning to, as they put it, not uh, overthrow government, but uh, overthrow the culture or the the world as as it, you know, is organized, um, and has a has a number of twists, uh, but it ends up, well, being actually quite um, a redemptive story, I think. Uh, and so I'm curious about the inclusion of this book, and then also uh, somewhere in here we find um, a speech from Richard the Third which I thought might refer to that terrifying water area underground because it's a speech about a nightmare in which um, I think it's Clarence, the Lord uh, Clarence is um, like sunk into the depths of the sea, basically. Uh, and it has suitably Shakespearean cadences to go with that. But, but yeah, so just, I don't know, any thoughts on these two uh, bits of sort of intertextual uh, fun that are in here? Yeah, um, there are a few of these. Like, I want to say that there was a third book in there. I always forget what the third one is. Um, like, uh, I'll, I'll have to sort of mark it the next time that we run across it. Yeah. Um, but the G.K. Chesterton, The Man Who Was Thursday, that's not the only passage we're going to run into. Mm. Um, and we did find it in Paul's room, and I think we found it in the guards' quarters in the paramilitary organization thing. Mm. Mm. Um, but it is one that you'll that we will see from time to time. Again, we'll see different quotes at different points in the game. Um, and I think that this is a sort of, it's a strange choice, but it makes a lot of sense insofar as, like, totally, it's completely at odds with this game. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, Deus Ex is doing this really serious conspiracy cyberpunk thriller thing and Chesterton is absolutely doing his usual Chestertonian, like, British manner comedy <laughs> and farce. 
Yes. Um, but they're but what I think is so striking in this case is that they're doing it on the same subject, namely upheaval, anarchy, insurrection, you know, great movings of politicians and so on. Um, and I think that they have a diametrically opposite view hmm. because, you know, everything about Deus Ex to this point has been, you know, sounded fury, like just ominous pronouncements by mysterious shadowy figures and, you know the, the sort of staging of these massive political organizations against these massive terrorist organizations and you know plagues and wars and just all of this drama and, and this noise and for chesterton you know all of that is a fiction like yes. that's the whole conceit of the man who was thursday that you know, it, it's it's nonsense. Like, sign successfully infiltrates an anarchist organization by you know ousting the actual anarchists, only to find that all of the top level figures of the anarchist organization are themselves. Spoiler alert: also agents of the police posing as anarchists. <laughs> like. It's comedy and joke all the way down. There's yeah. nothing to be afraid of. It is literally just a nightmare, mm -hmm. um, both in the sense that it is scary while you're in it, but all you have to do is wake up mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm, I'm particularly fond of that poem that he opens the book with, that he wrote to his friend, where he, he's talking about, you know, we thought things were so dark. We thought everything was so important. We thought there were enemies around every, around every corner. And in fact, we were totally wrong. Mm. Um, you know, it was just an upjumped terror that had no ground in reality. Um, so where Deus Ex is saying, you know, look behind every shadow, like interrogate everything that you encounter, Chesterton is like, or don't. Like, it's all going to be fine. It's fine in the end. Right. Um, you know, the, the big shadowy conspiracy figures are also the people who are most responsible for the order of the universe. My uh, sign is frequently remarking about how enamored of normalcy he is. Like, I, I love the passage here, uh, but he, like, I quote it all the time to, to my wife, the one I think comes up surprisingly frequently. Uh, but, like, the terrorists are saying, Chesterton, it's instead focusing directly on those mundane things. 
um, saying, no, it's, it's not about, you know, pretending like there's magic behind the substances that we see. It's recognizing the magic that is already there, mm-hmm. um, which I always find just yeah. extremely refreshing about Chester's the Yeah, the connection between them is really cool. Um, and I think it's probably worth uh, coming back to this. I, I'm glad that we'll get some more passages from this to, to look at later. So I will give this um, um, a reread to refresh on it a little bit. But um, but then, well, I, so there are some other like short quotes that I saw. There's references to Batman in, in the form of Harlequin, whose name is like played on for a joke about an HR like picnic that the terrorists are going to have or, or some paramilitary people, I forget who. Um, yeah, Harleen Quinzel is actually the alter ego of Harley Quinn. Like, okay. According to Batman lore, uh, Harleen Quinzel was the, the psychoanalyst who was analyzing the Joker and very uh, much got turned by him. That's awesome. Uh, then there's Feynman. Uh, Richard Feynman gets a, gets a quote in there um, about like the stupidity and the, the simple ignorance of people like i forget how it goes but basically saying like don't underestimate how dumb people are um and don't attribute it to their like evil or mean-spiritedness it's just that they get things wrong uh but i yeah i, I don't recall if there was another book that we saw like a other than you know stuff within the game um books about i i don't know what like the the history and the lore of this world that we're in um oh antigone is the name of the pepper spray that you found also yes (laughs) so that's good uh i think the other book that uh that gets referred to is jacob's shadow oh is that a real book i am not entirely sure um it says uh that like just looking at the Deus Ex wiki page, it says that it is a work of fiction created by Chris Todd, one of the writers for the game. It is attributed to the fictitious author Andrew Hammond oh. and homage to crime writer Andrew Bax. And the first chapter can be found in, in the game, like you get a whole bunch of little bits here and there. Oh. Um, but yes, uh, so there is Jacob's Shadow, we'll get multiple pieces from this is in the, the grand tradition of Borges, a fictional book in our fictional book. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, yep. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't recall. I didn't, I guess I didn't pay a special attention to that one because I didn't, it didn't sound like a, a, a book that was real, but um, uh, maybe that's the one that has to do with like kids fighting and how their um, conflicts like reflected, you know, real geopolitical problems or something like that uh, there there's some of that going on as well um yeah we've got the uh we've got the order of cincinnatus or the cincinnati right uh founded by george washington so more of this kind of like esoteric uh like secret f- orders um that control government uh are being talked about here um but uh we've also got just um these like old veterans, right. Who are now, apparently they have really nowhere to go. And so they're sitting in like the waiting room of one of these buildings, um, sort of swapping stories and you can kind of like overhear what they're talking about. Um, 
so again, there's this sort of division between the the people who are out in the streets trying to maintain order, and then like all of the actual citizens seem to be sort of waiting for the dust to settle. Like, I don't get the sense that many of them are doing anything other than try to survive. Um, you know, so Sandra in this respect is like a real outlier. Um, and, and even maybe Jojo for that matter and his sort of people. Um, most people seem to be just kind of uh, hunkered down, which I, I could totally relate to after this past year or so. But um, but it's just sort of striking to me that you your character moves through them um, so swiftly, but yet you can also choose to kind of stop and just listen to what their concerns are. Um, so I thought that was kind of a nice touch. But again, the, I don't know. There's something about the way the game is structured that like you have to be sort of utilitarian at all times. Like you're always sort of listening for useful information. And and so some of this world building, I think, can kind of um, uh, get get missed or, or easily sort of looked over. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I definitely took my time with it. Um, as is very evidenced from the fact that it was like a three-hour yeah. video of uploading. It was like, I think at the end there, I was like, man, how long have I been playing? Has it been two hours? Yeah, yeah. You no, know, it's been at least 40 minutes. the way it's always going to be structured where there's sort of one core mission that you have uh, to progress to the next area or story or whatever, but then always at least one other thing that you can do while you're sort of there, right? So like Castle Clinton and then the hostages and, and the subway, right? And you could just go straight to the subway, I guess. Um, I don't know if you'd be allowed to progress uh, after a certain point, because you would be missing all those AUG canisters, right? You, you'd probably just be really underpowered eventually, but but I guess you theoretically could do it, right? You could sort of speed run in that way. Uh, the, the structure varies for sure from point to point in the game. Uh, there will be times where we're like deep on a mission. And there won't be very much in the way of sort of side quests or exploring to do. Hmm. Um, like, I, I barely vividly recall at least one or two areas that are just structured in this very linear fashion. Like, you know, you start at one end of the level and it's your job to get to the other, other end of the area, and whatever theme 
tools you need to get from point A to point B. That's all that it takes. Hmm. Um, but there will also be other situations that we find like this one where you have this sort of central hub area like Hell's Kitchen with ranching quests and sort of radiating missions coming out of that yeah. hub, kind of like the sewer area where you know we, we found the paramilitary organization or, or the warehouse district or um, the other areas that are connected to Hell's Kitchen in one way or another. Yeah. Um, we'll see both structures. We'll see prolonged missions where we're going to go through area after area after area with one goal in mind. We'll have points where it just branches and scatters and it's up to us to make sense happen. Okay. Um, up to us to decide what to prioritize. Um, so it's it's not predictable okay. in that sense. Yeah, um, I was wondering too. Healthy, Throw a wrench in the works. Yeah, well, I, I imagine. Uh, is there ever going to be a um, like a overworld map or something like where we can like choose locations on a I don't know some kind of uh, super, like Super Street Fighter, you know, like flying to different locations on the world or, or something like that, or is it always going to sort of move you um, at the end of a level to the next thing? sense like there might be a hub area where you know depending on um, you talk to where you go next okay. um, kind of like you know there, there were multiple paths to follow going from hell's kitchen uh, but there's never going to at least as far as i remember there's never going to be an overworld map where it's like do you want to go to you know Bangkok next or do you want to go to you know johannesburg next like that's <laughs> that's not going to be an option uh, okay. um like, I, I think in Human Revolution, there was something like that at one point or another where you actually did have this sort of freedom to go back and forth between a couple of different potential hub areas. Uh, but for the most part, Deus Ex issues that structure and favors the sort of central hub with the missions radiating out. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, like you mentioned, I think there's no mini map available on the screen uh, as you're playing. So you have to sort of get your bearings um but you can yeah. you can check a map in your in your menu somewhere i think right yes okay and in your goals and notes and stuff there is in fact a map there and i think you can even mark it up if you want cool um like you can add notes but it is of limited usefulness seeing as you have to like bring it up every time you want to use it <laughs> um but i think that's also kind of intentional yeah um like thief the dark project that before this had done something very similar insofar as um, when you would embark upon some mission, you would get a very limited amount of information about where you were going. So like, and it, and it would be diegetic, mm -hmm. uh, like you would have the map that your source had given you and it would inevitably be incomplete or there would be you know, secret passages not marked on where you would go to the area and like discover there was a whole other wing that hadn't been included on the map. Um, like this, this was normal behavior at this point, and it was interesting because it riffed a lot on the even older model of like including a map in with the manual or something that was complete that didn't give you this sort of bird's eye perspective of the game. Hmm. Um, like for example, the the third the first hour video that I put together this week hmm. um, is actually on the Abbey of Crime Extensum. I finally. Finally broke out the the name of the rose game. Oh, cool! Um, and 
took it for a spin. Yeah, uh, it was very interesting and very different. And you'll have to wait until Monday to see exactly what my thoughts on the subject were. Okay. Um, but I actually ran into some difficulty because I was having trouble navigating the space because it shipped with a map once upon a time. <laughs> I did not have one. Oh, no. Um, but what was so interesting and sort of like what was so telling about doing that was just it sort of highlighted for me this week between you know navigating Deus Ex and, and Hell's Kitchen without a map and then navigating the, the Abbey of Crime without a map, um, how much maps have been a core part of the sandbox video game experience and mm. how that has changed. You know, from the, the God's eye, the developers gave you the map and therefore it is 100% trustworthy to the in-game map that maybe is trustworthy and maybe is not trustworthy to, you know, the Deus Ex map where, you know, you've got decent intel and you can mark it up and you can do stuff all the way back to the other end where there's a developer-made in-game overlay map that is absolutely trustworthy and yeah. not 100% complete all the time, like we see in you know, modern Castlevania games or contemporary Metroid entries. Like, mm -hmm. you just press a button, there it is, you know exactly where you are at the moment. Um, yeah. I, I like the idea that we're in the sort of wild west of, of that sort of experimentation. The Deus Ex is, is playing with the boundaries of video game conventions in that sense. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I know you always sort of start over quickly if you get killed, but is this a permadeath kind of game? What happens if you die? Does it just reload at your last save? Pretty much. Okay. Um, as much as I have been very quick to quick save and quick load all over the place, um, every time that you hit a loading screen, it auto-saves. Okay. Um, so even if you have not been saving as rigorously as I have or scamming as badly as I am, <laughs> you want to interpret it, yeah. Um, like, even running around in Hell's Kitchen for a while, you die and you go back to where you ended up, where you started in Hell's Kitchen. Like, it's not gonna, not gonna totally throw your game if okay. something goes wrong. Um, but, flip side, that means that whatever you've done up until that point is permanent, set in stone. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, like, calling it permadeath is, is kind of misleading, but it's very much the stuff of arcade roguelikes where it really does kick you back to the beginning of the game um here you know it's a save system uh you do only have in theory one sort of story that you were telling uh, but again manipulating the save system can yield any number of fascinating results and sort of dead end paths and yeah. you know branching timelines depending on how committed you are to any one or multiple tracks yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, like, this is one JC as far as the game is concerned, following in all of these events. Um, that will set you back because it's not canonical, rather than, you know, death is part of the process, right. like, in, you know, a, a uh, Spike Chunsoft game where you're, you know, reloading or bouncing between <laughs> right. multiple timelines. Yeah, and we need, uh, we need the next in the, uh, the, the augmented brethren of paul denton to step up after jc uh, yeah. is taken out <laughs> so, uh yeah. but but i noticed that jc has been doing some modeling because uh 
if you explore a little bit, you'll see some um, posters and advertisements up for uh, the Saviorific uh, brand cigarettes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the Holy Smokes uh, cigarettes. Holy company. Smokes. <laughs> and, uh, and you can find a bunch of cigarettes as you go around. Can you, is that something that you'll have to like give to the pilot at some point or like, you know, trade for some other information or whatever um, favors that you might need? Um, yeah, I have not been collecting the cigarettes. I'm sure that there will, will come a time where somebody <laughs> will ask for them. Okay. Um, and I will be you know, left slapping my pockets and shrugging my shoulders. Um, but yeah, like they are just, you know, they are at this point mostly set dressing, occasionally useful in certain circumstances. I think you can, in fact, smoke them. Um, I think in, in Grand Metal Gear Solid, tradition you can use them as a distraction like yeah. guards might be interested in them um <laughs> but otherwise they're just you know just more doodads hanging around the world like 40s or kidney bars or any number of other things yeah yeah i mean the sense that i get is the uh the kinds of things that we're told about in this game are all dangerous and maybe deadly in some way um and I don't know whether the cigarettes or the advertising there is more more dangerous, but uh, I really like the inclusion of that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, basically where we wind up here uh, after all of our circuitous exploration, you, you make it to that bit of the warehouse where they've got the generator. Uh, you self-destruct. I mean, it's kind of easy to make it self-destruct, right? There's like a big button <laughs> that shows up when you hack yep, into it. It's, it's actually very kind of them. Uh, and you made a, uh, a number of attempts to take out all the guards, but you really don't have to, do you? I mean, once you blow that no. thing up, you just get out, right? Um, you could literally stand on the top floor and take a pot shot down at the exploding barrels right next to the generator, and that would do it. <laughs> um, again, we are in a situation where the lethal option is way easier, way faster, yeah. way more direct. Um, and all of my sneaky rounds incapacitating everyone individually <laughs> through multiple attempts, which I think I was actually doing, I hit my groove at that point. You did, yeah. Reloading. Um, but even so, you know, there were a couple of those moments where I was like literally running on top of the, the ceiling to draw the guards up so they wouldn't get hit by the crack gas grenade. It was right. getting a little creative there, um, and all for naught because I literally like stuck in the room just deactivated the generator and not carried all the bodies to a safe distance uh will you uh now that we're back in the headquarters again will you find all these guards like cramming the cells down there in the dungeons or, or what like what happens? i don't believe so okay. <laughs> uh, the, the cells tend to be reserved for very important prisoners okay um so yeah like there's no real explanation of where they go after you are, are done, you know, dealt with them. Um, it is heavily implied when you're getting on the helicopter, like obviously Dunter is there with his machine gun. If you haven't taken out the guards, he will just start gunning them down. Because, oh, um, you know, Dunter doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, Anna Navarra has shown no, no quarter either. The, you know, run of the mill in that coach groups, there's every conversation in Hell's Kitchen where Paul ran around giving it. What do we do with this? Like, 
like, here, you take these gas grenades. I'm going to shoot these people. Like, right. I'm not stupid. Um, <laughs> so, obviously, you're not terribly concerned about NSF-1s, and I would not be shocked to hear that after we have painstakingly incapacitated, not lethally, every single guard in that facility, they just get, like, into a flamethrower and just destroyed everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a bummer to think about, but it is entirely possible. Or, or they get, or they get taken for experimentation down to the sewers. Um, yep. Yep. So either way, it's rough. Uh, yeah. I so I thought this part of the game was, uh, yeah, it looked fun, but a little bit overwhelming, um, in a different way from like the action portions uh, so far. Um, but so from here, we are going to deal some drugs. It looks like. And then uh, confront the the leadership of NSF, and kind of like over the next few weeks, if you have time, we'll sort of wrap up this first like chapter of the game. Is what it's kind of looking like. Yes. Okay. Uh, with like I will have to take off next week because I am on vacation. We are taking my nephew to Washington D.C. for the first time. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, and I and I'm going back to the Chestertown at some point. So. See how much has changed. They Triumphant return. Yeah, I was uh, just we'll thinking about, about that. But oh, gosh, um, yeah, I was just thinking I'll about the bookstore will still be there. The uh, the music and stuff they used to like the bands and all that stuff they used to have. I wonder, I wonder what it'll, it'll be like because the kids will be getting back to school pretty soon, right? Will there be students there yet, or is it uh, still their summer? Sure. Uh, and by this point, I suspect the researchers would have gone home. But mm-hmm. I imagine that the athletes probably made it to campus, yeah. depending on how much of that is still going on in these troubled times. Okay. Uh, I know I was at uh, I was on Montclair's campus doing some library action today, um, <laughs> swapping in Nabokov's Pale Fire and getting on my copy of the first one of the history of sexuality. Yeah. Um, and there were students swarmed in the place. Must have been freshman orientation day. Or, That's what I was know, thinking, yeah. Those, um, to people um, in our track across campus. You've got to bring you've got to bring a few copies of the disorientation manual for them and just scatter them around. <laughs> you and, uh, and whoever else was involved uh, with making that. Oh, Isaac, right? Uh, uh, yeah, that was that was definitely an Isaac great child. That's awesome. I want to say Della was involved in that one as well, but I could. Well, okay, so we'll take a break next week. Um, maybe I'll be able to get the Stardew thing going. Uh, is Sarah going to be on the trip too? Yeah, she will oh, okay. be on the trip, um, and she will be swapped next week. Okay. Uh, her original plan was to take the whole week off, but that didn't pan out. Mm. Um, yeah, I am hoping to have, like, I'll definitely have the, the Abbey of Crime scheduled ready to go on Monday. Um, with any luck, I'll have another, the first hour video the week after, but I'm not sure about that. Ooh, wouldn't um, it be time for rate, Gay Blade would be the next one, right? If you've done Abbey of Crime, I I think you've got to do, uh, <laughs> I think that's what it's called, right? Um, I think so, yeah. From the uh, Netflix documentary, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure you have no shortage of things to choose from. Oh, oh no. <laughs> it's just it is overwhelming which one to choose out of the many 
many options on, on Steam and God and all the rest. Yeah. And even today, today was Thursday, so Epic had a new free game available uh, to, in fact, just to further complicate things. Uh, but yeah, I, I, will, I didn't have Gameblade on my radar. Perhaps I, I should add that to the list for potential yeah. options. Uh, cool, man. Uh, well, yeah, well, thanks again, dude. Um, and congrats again on the new uh, new courses at the new school. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. Apprehensive, but excited. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Um, and Steve, uh, how is your uh, work and stuff going? It's, I hear you clicking away over there. Are you, are you searching for um, books and things and, and references from Deus Ex, or what, what are you working on there? Oh, I was doing some research for my job. I thought uh, so. I thought so. That's okay. Uh, are you super swamped right now, too? Uh, I just have, like, one pressing thing uh, that I need to get done and I'm struggling with, but that's uh, okay. All right. Well, uh, happy birthday again. Thanks for oh, thank you. making happy it to Happy early class. birthday to you as well. I know. Yes, I've got... Happy birthday to all of you. Summer summer birth kids yeah yeah stephanie's sister's birthdays uh around the same time here i think she's celebrated already but it might have been today or tomorrow i forget when it is uh yeah yeah it's it's a busy time so yeah probably a week off is not a bad thing um but we'll we'll be in touch so safe travels and uh catch you next time yep right. sounds good night everybody good night night